This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm very excited to have our guest on today, Dr. Natasha Sriraman. She is a board-certified academic pediatrician and associate professor of pediatrics at Eastern Virginia Medical School, Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters. She is an internationally recognized expert on breastfeeding and postpartum depression, and she works with the National AAP on the Virginia AAP board and is also honorary chair of Postpartum Support Virginia. She lives with her husband and children in Virginia Beach, and she's going to be sharing with us today a bit about her new book, Return to You, a postpartum plan for new moms, published by the American Academy of Pediatrics. We'll hear some parts of her personal story, as well as the work she is doing in her book, which is a friendly self-help guide for moms-to-be, new moms, and moms with other children on how to be prepared for this time based on medically-based research and personal experiences. There are stories from new moms in the book, as well as how to make a plan for the fourth trimester or that three-month period after childbirth, focusing on how to prioritize yourself in the process. I'm also excited to let you know that Dr. Sri Raman is offering a signed copy of her book to the first listener who goes to the Mom and Mind podcast on YouTube and leaves a comment. I'll be sure to let her know who that is and we'll gather your information so she can send you that signed copy. So let's jump into our conversation. Hi, Dr. Sri Raman. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. I'm really excited to talk about your book and the work that you're doing to support families in the fourth trimester. So let's just start there and use your book and the work that you're doing as a frame to discuss what all you are seeing that needs to be considered in the fourth trimester. Yeah. So let let us know about your book. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. I I have a copy here. It actually came out this week. And as I was was mentioning to you, it's pretty surreal. The process started actually Mm pre-COVID and much of it was written obviously during COVID. So Mm -hmm. I'm a mom of three and I'm a pediatrician and I uh, do a lot of this postpartum work within my profession, but a lot of it just came about from my own experiences as a mom, my kids are teenagers now. So I struggle a lot with breastfeeding, postpartum mood disorders. Later in life, I've realized I had some pelvic floor issues that Mm. no one ever told me until I was in my 40s. And so a lot of it came about, I was seeing issues in my patients, Mm -hmm. like I was seeing things that, you know, I need to address as the pediatrician, because mom's health and well being affects the babies I take care of. Yes. So it started working with different organizations, both in like the infant feeding, breastfeeding world, as well as um, postpartum support, Virginia and my home state. Mm-hmm. And I think doing a lot of this work and advocacy, a lot of my research that turned clinical protocols, you know, really brought different clinical protocols, 
not just into my own practice and my own health system, but nationally, Mm -hmm. I realized that a lot of the things I was advocating for, for my parents actually affected, had affected me back in the day. Right. And I don't, I don't think it was really well defined back then, a lot of the things that we were going through. And so I think between like, my speaking and my research and my advocacy and different blogs, um, one of my mentors, who is actually a pediatrician, a pediatric ER physician, contacted me. And ironically, her daughter was pregnant at that time. So Mm -hmm. she was going to be a grandma. And she's like, you know what, you have to turn this into a book. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, she was like the fifth or sixth person who told me that but she's like, no, no, you really need to turn this into a book because she was seeing what her daughter was going through. Right. You know, obviously now, not just as a physician, but now as a future grandmother. Mm -hmm. And she's like, more people have to hear this, you know. So that was like the push and kind of the networking and the connections. And um, the publisher was really kind of excited because there was really nothing out there touching upon this topic in terms of from a physician mother point of view where it's personal stories. My book has personal stories as not just Mm -hmm. my own, but of Mm -hmm. patients and family members and friends, but also with evidence, you know, like with evidence-based medicine, which I think is super important because as we saw over the last couple of years, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet. And a lot of times it hurts. I just saw a patient today getting information where it's probably not the best information and, and really hindered her and the baby getting the proper care that they needed. So right. that was that's why it was important to me. That's It's absolutely crucial because, I mean, maybe you've noticed this on social media even, there are a lot of people who are on social media really being like peer, telling peer stories and talking about things from their own personal perspective. And sometimes, unfortunately, giving advice or advice that should be medical advice. And there is, while it's great to see that you're not alone and there are a lot of people who feel and are experiencing the same thing. It, t- it the lines get really blurred on social media between um, what is a personal story versus what is a medical advice. Well, you can't give medical advice, but what is a, a medical perspective? So having something like what you're describing where it's it's not just stories but also backed is very very important. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's difficult as a physician and I'm sure in your field as well where other physicians are giving advice, but it's not their field of specialty. Right. Like I'm not going to go on and talk about cardiology in a 60 year old male. That's exactly. I'm staying in my, my lane. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes with a lot of the fourth trimester issues, whether it's breastfeeding or bottle feeding or mood disorders or, or you know, anything, a lot of things that we talk about or that I talk about in the book is that, you know, well, I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. I know this. Right. Yes. You know, but that's, but that's your personal experience. Yes. And I, and I think that's where we have to be careful because I think having like the PhD or the MD or the DO behind your name doesn't necessarily make you an expert. Like, mm-hmm. like, I, like I said, I'm not going to comment, comment about adult medicine because <laughs> right. that's not my training. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that in. It's a really important point. And I, I think we could all do ourselves better service by, by digging a little deeper and to find out who's telling us what to do, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So if, if you can walk us through some of what, what is the fourth trimester? Why is it important for us to be looking at this and what time period does it cover? Yeah. So, you know, essentially you have the baby, your, your pregnancy is split up into three trimesters, technically 40 weeks, any, you know, between 37 and 40 weeks, we consider we consider it a full-term pregnancy. So that fourth trimester is from when you deliver your baby for the three months postpartum. So kind of those time periods. And I think what what has really become important, and I'm really pleased to see it getting attention is that I don't know how old your kids are, but not one, I was never asked how I was doing. Right. Not once I have three kids, the pediatrician was very focused, obviously, in the, on the kids, which is fine. Right. The OB, the OBs are busy, we, I was in and out. Mm-hmm. And even when I knew to look for help or ask for help, I didn't even know who to go to. And then even mm-hmm. when I tried, I didn't receive the help like I felt like something I'm doing something wrong. Right, right, right. Because, you know, not even have social media back then. So (laughs) there's a chapter in my book about how social media can be super helpful, like you said, with peer Mm -hmm. support, Mm -hmm. and information, but it also can be really detrimental, because I see a lot of younger moms in my practice where, well, how can she do this? And I can't even get, you know, so I, I talk about that in the book, because I think when I was at that time in my life, I just had to look at the magazines and the grocery store, 
right. where everyone, you know, got back to a size zero in six weeks or less, you know, or things like that. Mm-hmm. So that fourth trimester, and if and if you really look at it, I remember one of the first lectures I gave, a social worker came up to me and she had, and she herself was a grandma and no one, people were kind of having a difficult understanding, like why as a pediatrician, are you focusing on mom, you know, aside from just right. kind of like the, the well care visits. But I had this slide about how many times I see the mom and baby mm-hmm. within the first six months to one year. Yep. And she came up to me and she said, I never realized how much you see the kids, the babies. And she herself, you know, uh-huh. was going to well child checks with her daughter. If you think about it, you know, aside from, you know, if you have complications towards the end, you see your OB pretty frequently in that last mm-hmm. trimester. Yep. And then if you add in some complications, like I think I was going twice a week <laughs> that mm-hmm. last month. And then, then you don't see your OB for six weeks, six weeks. That's a long that's, time. That's a long time. You know, to give you some perspective, once you leave the hospital, the pediatrician, we see them within two to three days. Mm-hmm. We see them probably in another week to make sure they're gaining weight. Or, you know, if there's issues with breastfeeding, then I see them at one month, two month, four month, six month. Mm-hmm. And that's just for the well child checks. That doesn't account for like any sick visits or any other issues or growth issues. And, and I think we're in such a great position because obviously the mothers trust us. They won't bring the babies to us, but they feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking, mm-hmm. talking to us. And a lot of moms would just kind of start talking to me about their own health issues. Yeah. It wasn't about the baby, like the baby was fine. Right, right. You know, like a lot of my, a lot of my breastfeeding medicine clinic, it's like, I'm fixing, I'm fixing that in 10 minutes. The other literally 40 minutes is about how can I get my partner or spouse to help out? Mm-hmm. I don't have any time for myself. I can't, I'm not sleeping. I'm really depressed. And it's, it's really about that. And I would have moms start talking to me about like pains that they had Mm -hmm. and this hurts and that hurts. And that's, you know, out of my scope of practice. I mean, I can give them medical advice, but you know, I have to guide them, but that level of trust and comfort that they have and they see us so much. Right. And I think that's where it kind of all started culminating with me. Like I'm doing this work on the research level, advocacy level, but also like on this personal level. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that in because that was part of what I well, kind of wanted listeners to hear is why is a pediatrician doing this? But d- to your point, you see, you see mom and baby in a really delicate, fragile period of time where there's a lot of shift and a lot of change. And what I love in particular is that you are suggesting that we don't silo our care which has been done uh, for so long, you know, well, I'm the pediatrician, I do babies. I'm the OB, I only take care of moms. I'm the primary care, I only do whatever's left outside of that. There is a way for medicine to be more integrative and be, be supporting parents where they might have in the past fallen through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, unfortunately in our country, which I talk about in the book is very disjointed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is very much to to a lot of people's surprise. It's not in our control as physicians. That's uh, health insurance and uh, right. people above us. So I really talk about a lot of the different ways postpartum care is viewed in other countries, mm-hmm. like in Europe and Asian countries and African countries. I talk a lot about my own familial experiences because I'm of Indian descent. So I was kind of a child between two cultures. That's mm-hmm. how I was raised. And mm-hmm between, you know, two to three countries and just seeing how it was so different for me versus maybe someone, a friend who of mine who had just come from India and had so much support, whereas me and my husband are drowning while maintaining mm-hmm. two medical careers and just kind of seeing how just because this is ha- this happens in maybe different cultures or different countries doesn't mean we can't bring those components right. to what you need. And I think for me, you know, there is a postpartum plan where you can write things down. And I think that's super helpful because I think doing things and figuring things out with a cool head mm-hmm. is very important as opposed to a crisis mode, which a lot of us do. All right. But we always talk about the birth plan and we have the baby showers mm-hmm. and now we have the gender reveals <laughs> and the sprinkles. Those are, those are a little bit different because my kids are older. What I realized was that there's no planning. So I was correlated to, um, I've been married for 24 years. And I correlated to like the wedding doesn't prepare you for the marriage. Right. So just like the baby showers, wonderful. The gender reveal is wonderful. That is not preparing you at all for mm-hmm. <laughs> what's coming down the road. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends, she was actually a 
physical therapist. So I met her through this work I was doing. And she goes, I had read every single book I knew. So I knew exactly how to be pregnant. I knew everything. And then they sent me home with the baby. And that's one of my first stories in the book is there's a picture of me and my oldest who is uh, she's in she's 20. She's in college now. And and of course, it's a print picture, no, not a digital picture. Right. And I'm holding her crying like there's tears. And back then, back then in the day, it's the maternity bibs were in style. Oh, right, right. <laughs> so you can you can see the drops of, you know, tears. <clears throat> and everyone's like, oh, that's such a such a touching, such a sweet picture. It wasn't touching at all. I was terrified. And I was a resident. I was a pediatric sure. resident. I was like, yeah. wait, you're sending me home with like, and the advice that I got was they made sure the car seat was in place mm. and not to have sexual intercourse for six weeks. And that's, that's it. And it. I got sent home with a brand new human being, couldn't breastfeed her, couldn't nurse her, you know, just because you study it doesn't mean <laughs> right, you're it's very different until you, until you do it. Yeah. So it's that picture is really poignant to me because everyone just thinks it's like the most touching mother child picture. And I'm like, that is exactly what it was. And I was, I was terrified. Well, right. And I think that speaks so much to what the kind of myths and pressures are of new motherhood is if you're crying in any way, it's because you're so in love or you're moved beyond belief, but there's, there's no space in there for how difficult it really is. And yeah, to your point, going home with a baby and and not knowing what to do, but feeling like you're supposed to be super stoked and happy and excited about this, it really mm-hmm. creates a lot of stress, emotional stress, for right. sure. And so, guilt. Oh, There's so much, yeah. so much guilt. <laughs> like mom guilt. One of my chapters is mom guilt. And I just mm-hmm. like, it's amazing. Like it's whether it's your first child or your third child, it's I, that's that's the chronic underlying theme, I think, a lot about motherhood, unfortunately. And it just, I don't, I don't know who we're competing against or we're competing against each other. I don't know what it is, but I don't, I, I just try to tell new moms and young moms, like, listen, I didn't, I wasn't like, I'll literally see like the amazing mother at Target, three kids, you know, mm-hmm. one in the stroller, one in the wrap, totally was not me at all. Right. And then, and you know, the kid throws down, you know, she has the baby in the wrap and the toddler throws down, has a tantrum because mm-hmm. clearly you want you want the candy bar, you know, and you're not getting the candy bar. Right. And I just, I was, sometimes I just go up to them. I said, just talk to the manager, leave your stuff and just come back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's helpful to, I just, I think it's just, we have this feeling like we have to have everything right. And I think when you hear from others, like I really struggled, I think it just really bonds us as women and as mothers that it's, that it's okay. And to ask for help. Right. <clears throat> that's really hard, really hard, yeah. especially with the Very hard. And, and that pressure to feel like you're s- supposed to be able to do everything on your own. Yeah. Even this podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, 
Life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Which I think you were touching on a bit before that there are other cultures that have practices in place, wh- whether they're wanted practices or not, there there are some practices there that are meant to be supportive and are geared mm-hmm. towards all of that support. Right, 100%. Yeah, so I mean, just in, in my culture, I'm, I'm of Indian descent, you know, of course, sometimes there's always, you know, family is family, <laughs> but, you know, you, you may be living with your mother-in-law or your mother and you have cousins and sisters and things like that. And literally the role, and this is very common practice in some of the Spanish speaking countries, as well as China, some of the East Asian countries, like it's the 40 days, like the lying in period at other, other countries. I mean, other cultures use different terms and right. that concept of like, you're just supposed to feed the baby, mm-hmm. feed yourself and rest, you know? So really kind of that, that mom's health is just as important, you know, maybe not her in a silo, like you said, but it's important for the mom and baby to to still be cared for and and I think a lot of times especially in this country we forget that and I and I and I tell and I tell moms and I, I think I mentioned in the book like just because the baby's no longer inside of you you're still connected and you're you're you still have that bond and you still have that unit so my mantra which I always talk about constantly in the book is happy healthy mom mm-hmm. equals happy healthy baby so right. you know I I tell moms that every single day, I need you to be happy and healthy, because I need you to take care, you know, be able to to take care of your baby. So I need you to rest. I need you. To, right. I mean, how many moms have we heard? Oh, I haven't eaten since this morning. It happens all the time. Right. <laughs> so and, and then know. wonder why they don't feel well, but right. they haven't had any moment to even think about what their own needs are. Right. Or right. Prioritize and, their needs. Right. And I think, you know, a big part of that is, like you said, it's hard to ask for help. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also hard sometimes when we don't know what we need exactly. And I try to talk about that in the book, because sometimes a non birthing parent, they can't read our minds. I know my husband couldn't. (laughs) So sometimes when you think Mm -hmm. people should be helping you, they don't know how to help you, Mm -hmm. or they themselves may be nervous or just want to. So just really kind of advocating for yourself, whether it's with your physician, you know, when I talk about if you're breastfeeding, I cannot Mm -hmm. tell you Kat, how many times probably at least once or twice a month still in my practice, there are moms who are denying themselves pharmacologic treatment for their postpartum anxiety or depression because of the fear of breastfeeding. They still think there's a contraindication and it still <laughs> it still makes me angry yeah. and I still get frustrated after all these years. But right. with this with the book, I want moms to learn how to advocate for themselves. Like oh, totally. talk to you know, talk to your psychiatrist, talk to your PCP because maybe they're not this is the evidence. Like everything is, you know, all the all the references are there. But even just like how to talk to your partner, how do you talk to your family member? How do you advocate for yourself and say, listen, I need you to take care. I need you to get up and give the bottle mm-hmm. because I need a five, six hour stretch of sleep. Yeah. Or I need you to take the toddler. And the newborn out. So I just have the house to myself, you know, things like that. Like, I think I don't think always think like that because we are so sleep deprived and we're looking at such a big picture. Sometimes just really being concrete is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I know I couldn't. I know I didn't. You know, I know I didn't do any of those things. Uh, Right. I mean, you're you're in fog, you're sleep deprived. I'm just trying to figure out how to how to feed the baby in whatever way. And, and maybe get a shower in somewhere and also, also eat and right. You're, you're essentially trying to, to do all the things you were doing before for your normal day to day, plus take care of a new human. Right. Um, And that's really hard. So the, the concrete stuff is really important. And from in your, your book, you, you have a postpartum plan, like you have the concrete steps plus all of the, um, the other stuff to help explain it. Yeah, yeah. So I have with each chapter, and I think one specific chapter has an actual like fill in. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, you can put it, you know, type it on your computer and things like that. But literally, like three people I'm going to call when I need a shower during the day, three people I'm going to call when I need a break at night, and I or I just need to just get just have a break. Mm -hmm. Who am I going to call for groceries? I mean, now, there's so many options out there. But you know, things like that, like, 
who are the three lactation consultants in my community? Who am I going to call if I'm not, you know, if I'm not feeling right? Like, who am I going to call? You know, obviously the <clears throat> information is there for emergent cases like yeah. the National Suicide Hotline and the post, you know, PSI and things like that. But who am I going to call when I just, I, I just need to talk to someone? Mm-hmm. Who am I going to call? Like, who's going to take my toddler to school while I'm like, that was my big struggle. I was like, wait, right. I have to n- take this baby and this and take these other oh two kids. Gosh. Like, so really concrete things like who can, who can pick up my toddler for the play date or who can, who can they, who can take my child to daycare or preschool. So I don't have mm-hmm. to wake up the newborn, mm-hmm. things like that, like really concrete, specific things that I think, you know, I think we do so much with birth plans and the baby shower and all that stuff, like doing this beforehand will really, I think, help cut stress and anxiety and that feeling of not knowing what's coming. And you may not need all of it, but at least you have the information. Uh, right, right. Yeah, you're you're so absolutely right. The, the analogy you made about weddings versus marriage and pregnancy <laughs> versus having a child, it's it's so true. I mean, even for weddings, we put a lot of effort into weddings, but not as yeah. much into like, how's this marriage going to work? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and we all know marriage is hard work. <laughs> it really is. It really yeah. is. It I really mean, they're is. lovely. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, there's sometimes you're just like, woo. Every once you in know, a while. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just, you know, I think that just really kind of you you can't plan and, you, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but kind of setting maybe some expectations and just really kind of planning, you know, research shows it cuts your anxiety level. Like you kind of know what's coming. Obviously you can't predict exactly, but mm-hmm. you know what you're, what, what you may need and then you'll have it ready. And also the postpartum plan is a great way to communicate your needs to your spouse, partner, other family members. Like if it's on the fridge or it's, you know, right. typed up and everyone has access to it on their phone, they're like, okay, she really like, I need to, you know, we had a dad once and he was like, he literally Googled walking on eggshells. Like we had him for a conference. We had, we had family members come and speak and things like that. Yeah. Walking on eggshells. And he realized like his wife was suffering from postpartum depression, mm. but he didn't know. Right. So the postpartum plan, like, you know, someone else can look at it mm-hmm. and be like, oh, wait, there's this website here. Let me look that up. Or there's this information here or here. This is the phone number we listed, you know, while she was pregnant. So it really is a great piece of information to communicate to others when, Mm-hmm. you know, we may, the mom may not see herself as a problem because right. a lot of times we, we won't notice that we're struggling. Sometimes it's on the outside. Absolutely. And and you alluded to something that I think is important too. You said like, this is the number that we put down. So like a postpartum plan is something that a person and a partner could go through together. It doesn't have 100%. to be all on the birthing person to figure out how to do everything. So that would be a great stress reducer just in and of itself to, to yeah. know that somebody yeah. else knows mm-hmm. what to do in case. And and do it with that person who's going to be involved, whether it's grandma or spouse or partner or your sure. sister or your best friend, yeah. do it together. Because a lot of times what we may not think about, someone else is like, well, I, you know, oh, what about that? And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, you know. Yeah, right. You know, who would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, we'd have groceries delivered to us. So you know, right. now it's like, you know, yeah. what a great option, but just knowing that it's available. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You also mentioned something about um, research showing that having a postpartum plan can reduce anxiety. I believe that's what you said. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the, the research that you're bringing into the book, I assume it's that and other, other types of things to support, to support the reasons for having a postpartum plan. Yeah. It just, you know, cause if you look at any type of planning process, mm-hmm. you know, it, it affects your it affects anxiety levels. And we see this with I talk a lot about with it just within my pediatric population, like mm-hmm. why having kind of a schedule for your toddler, or for your young child, like when they know what to expect, like, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we always talk about, right? Like, mm-hmm. if they know that they're going to get lunch, why, why do why do kids? Why do why did our kids always melt down because they missed a nap, or they missed right. bedtime? Or things like that. So kind of that planning, I mean, not not rigid, of course, I mean, you, you know, you're we're teaching our kids to go with the flow as well. But kind of having that, that expectation is, is super helpful, you know, not just for mm-hmm. the child in that case, but also for, you know, the caretaker, the mom. Mm-hmm. Right. As a therapist supporting pregnant and postpartum moms, it's been heartbreaking to not be able to support all of the moms who are calling in for therapy. Even when giving resources to find other therapists who are certified in perinatal mental health, there are still long waits. 
I hate that any postpartum has to wait for the help that they desperately need. So I'm doing what I can do to help bridge that gap. That is the Manage Postpartum Stress course. With three and a half hours of content, this self-paced course is broken down into bite-sized pieces so you can learn why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and how to feel better and go at your own pace. I walk you through how to understand why things are feeling overwhelming, what the new pressures are that you might be experiencing and how to understand them. Then I walk you through why you might be feeling the way that you feel. And that includes starting a brand new job with a brand new baby with very little training. Then we go in to take a deeper look at why you might be feeling the way that you're feeling considering your mental health and wellness. Then we dig deep into figuring out how you can find wellness and how you can use some skills and tools right now in your life to help you start feeling like you can manage just that much better. You don't have to be waiting to see a therapist to take this course, but certainly I do talk about therapy as a resource because it really is. For those of you who are waiting to see a therapist, my big hope is that you get some of the support that you deserve while you're waiting to dig into some of those deeper feelings or issues that have come up since you've become a new parent. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So head on over to WellMind Perinatal and go into the courses section and you'll see exactly where you can see more information and sign up for this course. And once you do sign up, you'll have immediate access. There is no waiting. I really do hope that this gives you the support that you need. And as we say to all new parents, self-care is important. Putting yourself on the list is important. And hopefully this course can be one of the ways that you begin to feel better. So you had mentioned before that one of your chapters in the book is about guilt. I'm curious what your other chapters cover. Yeah, so a big part I I mentioned is kind of the role of social media in kind of affecting how we view motherhood. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's super important, especially in this day and age. I have a lot of information about going back to work for those moms who are going back to work outside, outside of the house, or even in this day and age, a lot of women are staying home, but you're still Mm -hmm. beholden to a boss and deadline. So you may not be physically leaving the house, but you're definitely have two roles as a mom in the house, as well as, you know, um, a profession, you know, a a job that you may have. And I, I really talk a lot about that in terms of, again, the planning, whether it's, you know, I talk about everything from like, are you going to do daycare versus an au pair versus a nanny versus a family member helping? And I know I have seen it personally. It was very stressful for me. I talk about yeah. my experience of, of finding that very first nanny. Um, I went back to mm-hmm. work when my baby was five months old, but I see it every day. I, I work, I teach medical students and residents every day. So mm-hmm. I, I'm working with a lot of women in this, in this age group and younger younger people and childbearing age. And I cannot tell you the stress that it is for 
a female physician mm. to figure out childcare. I mean, oh. it's, it's just horrendous. I mean, right. finding what you feel comfortable with, finding something you afford, finding something that works with your work hours, which for us is extremely difficult, depending yeah. on where you are. Right. Not everyone has a mom who can, not everyone has a family member who can just drop everything and move in. Mm-hmm. And so again, to that point of planning and really talking about it, because I think, unfortunately, a lot of us wait till like our maternity leave is up and then we start thinking about it. And yeah. so I talk a lot about that kind of planning ahead, what you're comfortable with, kind of the pros and cons of different yeah. things. Like some, some people don't want someone in their house. Some people don't want to take their baby to an outside location for that first year of life, because, you know, there's increased illness for our moms who will be pumping at work, how to advocate for yourself, how to talk to your employer ahead of time. You know, it is, it is covered by the Affordable Care Act, but every day I still see moms struggle with that. A lot of our salary wage workers, Mm -hmm. it's not covered. They don't have protected time and space. And that is, that is the law, how to advocate for them, how to, how to empower moms. And it's Mm -hmm. really like empowering moms while taking care of kids. And I think that's really important because again, if we wait until the, you know, kind of the 11th hour is again, our stress is going to rise up and and it's going to affect kind of our mood. It's going to affect maybe our relationships. It's going to affect everything. And, and just really kind of figuring out what works for you and your family. Mm -hmm. And one point I, I really, cause I do, I talk about a lot of my experiences because I'll be honest after every one of my children, circumstances in life changed. What may have worked with one kid did not work with two, did not work with three. And I just want to normalize that, that just because you're making a decision right now on July 22nd, 2022 is not, it's going to be different than July 22nd, 2023. Right. And it's okay. Right. And, and it's okay for your own family to change. It's Mm -hmm. okay for us to not plan five years in advance for some, it's hard for some of us mamas. (laughs) But also not to compare our situation to someone else and things like that. Other moms like, well, you know, oh, I, I, I wanted to stay home and I, or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Some, like for me, I enjoy going to work. I I love going to work, Mm -hmm. but, you know, kind of having that, again, that guilt. Well, they got to stay home. Am I doing something wrong? Like, should I be home? Right. And, and I think just really working through the practical aspects of going back to work, practical aspects of pumping at work but also the emotional aspects of what that means, because it is hard. It, it is hard. No matter how much you love your job and your career, like I love my career. <laughs> I walked in, I was on the subway, had my work bag, had my big old pump bag. There weren't right. small pumps back then. And I walked into the, into the office and, you know, my staff is like, the Pluto three ramen. And, and I worked in Washington Heights in New York city. And I, I literally just started sobbing, like bawling. Yeah. But the entrance was a common entrance where the patients were. So I was literally like, and she's like, come, come, come. She's like, get, like, she's like, get in the back. And I just like, literally just, just, you know, like carrying these bags to the subway. And I was just, right. I was like sobbing, you know, right. but I knew I wanted to go back. I knew I had to go mm-hmm. back. I wanted mm-hmm. to finish my training. Right. And, but again, it's, it's okay to change what your goals are and what you need and what your family needs. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, and I love that you are, you bring in a lot of the flexibility to what you're describing that, that it can be both. You, you can both want to go back to work and be sad. It's not like because you wanted to go back to work, you should be fine with everything. That, that's not how that works. It's usually a mixed bag. And with the planning that you're describing, that can help mitigate some of the higher stress points because it's, things are, You've sort of like, for lack of a better way to say it, controlled what you can control um, right. or did something about what you can do something about. And that reduces stress, but that doesn't mean you won't still have feelings Correct. coming up. Yeah. And I, I, I see that too, a lot with people returning to work, the, the amount of stress, figuring out caregivers, what they're going to do, how they're going to feel. So it sounds like you have a really realistic look at uh, what people can do for themselves it, throughout this whole process, not just returning to work, but that that is an Im- important point. And it might be for a lot of people, uh, depending on when their uh, medical leave is up or their disability is up, it might be around that three month mark. Right, right. I think it's important because also, you know, I want the book to empower moms, but I think a lot of times we don't know what we need. Mm-hmm. And um, like for me specifically, like I'm, I did a lot of research on 
pelvic floor therapy mm-hmm. and pain. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was turning 40 and I was, I was a runner. I was a big runner back mm-hmm. then. And I was tr- training for a marathon mm-hmm. and I kept having the same pain that I've had for years and years and years. And I always thought it was my knee because uh-huh. it's, I, you know, I had a dance injury when I was younger and things like that. And they're like, no, that's all from your hip because you know, the way your pelvis is. And I was like, Oh, my God, I did I had, I had this, this and this with my second. And then the way I would hold them, you know, we all crick our hip, you know, and I'm a righty. So everything's on the right side. (laughs) And he's on your hip and your pelvis and do this. And I'm like, wait, how has no one told me this? Right. In 10 years of since I had my first baby and right. And then I found physical therapists who were trained in that who were doing that. And you know, it was amazing. Like I, I, I talked, I, I talked to a lot of them. I did my own, like, you know, book research and scientific mm-hmm. research. And I'm just like, how is no one talking about this? Right. And then when you do look at it, countries like I think Austria and France, they have a package. You have your lactation, you know, you get to see your lactation consultant plus or minus an appointment with the therapist at mental health, not always, right. but six pelvic floor physical therapy visits. That's amazing. Amazing, right? Like just standard. That's part of just standard. You know, you don't have to take all of them, but you know, go have your exam. I talk about what that pelvic floor. So I myself went to go see a pelvic floor therapist because Mm -hmm. a I was still having a pain. I'm like 50 plus now, but I also wanted to see what it was like on the patient side. I mean, obviously, I was much, 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 much more postpartum than who the book is for. But like, it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Like, and and so when I so when moms talk to me about this pain and that pain they don't even know what it is. So it's like a lot of things we're learning, you know, this book, you, it may resonate with you, but sometimes you're like, wait, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. So now you can go ask for it. Like I basically say, talk to your OB, get a referral. This is what you want to refer for what to expect at your first visit, Mm -hmm. what to expect at subsequent visits, like really kind of, because it was such a new thing to me, you know, two, three years ago. And so I think a lot of times we don't know exactly what we need until like in my case, it was like a recurrent injury. Oh, right. And you might not be, like you're saying, have put two and two together. Um, yeah. Of why you might be having this pain. And that, that's true. I mean, there's there's a lot of support with pelvic PT for incontinence, which is something that happens, you know, mm-hmm. after birth for sure. Pain of many different kinds along the pelvic floor and lower back. And it helps with so many things. It's It's kind of what holds us together. <laughs> Right, um, right. That yeah, pelvic floor. But if you're not, if no one teaches you to ask about that, or, you know, your obstetrician may not even be aware, you know, it's just that it's such right. a burgeoning field. So at least mm-hmm. in the United States, and depending on where you are, it may be different where you are in California, because sometimes the West, you know, the West Coast is generally very, you know, ahead of with wellness. But, you know, I mean, I didn't on the East Coast, I mean, I never heard about it in New York. And, you know, I'm just learning about in Virginia and things like that when I when I start working on on these things. But not even to know what to ask for, mm-hmm. I think is important. So I think, again, I think what we hear from a lot of our peers is that, well, I just thought I was supposed to be in pain. I just thought that was part of being a mother. Right. Or I just thought that was part of, you know, I, I gave birth or I had mm-hmm. a C-section. So I just thought that was a part of it. I cannot tell you how many times I hear that from people like, mm-hmm. you know, my age, like they've mm-hmm. just, they've just been, I, I don't want to say suffering. We just deal with it. Right. Because you know? you're told you're just supposed to deal with it. Right, right, oh, right. That is so real about just us assuming that our pain is just part of the process. It right. pa- pain is not normal. If you have right. pain, that means there's something going on. Right, um, right, for sure. And that's emotional pain too. If I can, yeah, plug in for that. One hundred percent. Right. I mean, if you if you look at some of the cultural cultural stories and some of the uh, cultures that I talk about in the book, but I also see in my practice is that the feelings of sadness and anxiety, well, some of the cultures call it nervioso, it's just part of it. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to get through it. It's really stigmatized, like in South Asian culture, mental health, especially maternal mental health is stigmatized. And I know in some other cultures too. So, you know, again, like to your point, it's, it's not just part of being a mom. Mm-hmm. And I think just talking about that, you know, is so important because, you know, the baby blues, like that's the transient part, but, you know, one, two, three months later or like subsequent pregnancies or mm-hmm. I have, I have moms telling me later, they're like, I felt really bad during my pregnancy, but they just thought it was, oh, I'm just going through changes, right. you know, things like that. Right. 
So it sounds like from what you're describing, there is a lot uh, in your book on mental health. Can you say a little bit more about what you go yeah. through in there? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it was, I'm so happy to see the changes over the last seven, eight years from when mm-hmm. I started this work, how it wasn't talked about. And, you know, obviously there is a stigma to mental health, but I think the changes I've seen, I'm sure you've seen, of course, in, in, in your practice is that people are talking about it more and it's accepted. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like, you know, Serena Williams, Brooke Shields, Bryce Howard, I think that makes a difference. It does. You know, uh, Chrissy Teigen, like, mm-hmm. I, it makes a difference, like it normalizes it. And seeing women from all walks of life, women of color, it's so important, because there are going to be certain pockets, races, cultures that mm-hmm. the stigma is there, but mm-hmm. knowing how to look for it and ask for help. And again, not think that this is just, hey, part of motherhood, I have to put up with it. So mm-hmm. I talk a lot about kind of what's you know, within the realm of, I don't know if normal is the right word, but like, you know, in the, in the, you know, the first week or two, kind of the waxing and waning of moods and things like that, but what you should be looking for, or, you know, to, to, to what we discussed before, what maybe your partner or your family member sees is that, yeah, this is, Hey, this has been a month or two and things like that. Because again, I think if they don't know what they're looking for, but they kind of feel like something's off again, really, because moms can't always advocate for themselves. Right. It's really hard. Postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, perinatal anxiety, perinatal mm-hmm. depression. A lot of times it starts in pregnancy mm-hmm. and it may worsen postpartum or just increase the risk. It is really hard to ask for help. Yeah. And and I'm speaking from a personal experience too. My, mm-hmm. I had it with my second who is going to college mm-hmm. next month. Mm-hmm. And every time I asked for help, I mean, A, it was so hard to ask for help. Right. And then when I did ask for help, basically, I felt like a door was slammed in my face. Like I went to my OB, I called my OB's office in between patients. Mm -hmm. I was seeing patients myself and I called Mm -hmm. and I I had, I worked myself up. Like I was like, I'm going to ask for help, you know, again, because we're supposed to do it on our own. Right. She gets on the phone. This was a friend of mine who was my doctor. And, and so they, they knew me and things like that. It wasn't these huge group practices that we have now. And she said, Mm -hmm. So I spoke to Dr. So-and-so. So just call the number on the back of your card and ask for someone. Click. So I'm yes. supposed to call Anthem and just, just look for, or whatever, you know, whatever insurance I had. Yeah, right, right. And so that really turned me off because I was like, I, it was so hard for me to ask for help. And then when yeah. I did, and then I used, used to get comments like, well, of course you're feeling this way. You have two kids and diapers. And of course, you know, again, normalizing right. it. Of course. Yeah. But I knew something wasn't right. Yeah. And that my husband knew something me. wasn't yeah. yeah, my husband knew something wasn't right, but he didn't know, you know, he himself was like deer in headlights. He didn't, sure. you know, he didn't know. He's like, well, why don't you call your doctor? You know, it wasn't like mm-hmm. that. So I think talking about that in the book, but also addressing that in the postpartum plan. So again, because we can't always ask for help. So if someone sees that and sees, and then, you know, the, the websites are available, information is there, mm-hmm. but really normalizing it because when you see how many women have it in the postpartum period, it's phenomenal. You know, I mean, the right. data says one out of seven. I'll be honest, it's much higher in a lot of our pediatric practices because mm-hmm. we started screening based on the research oh, I did. Yeah. So now our whole health system screens moms from postpartum depression That's starting great. at two weeks of age. And I got a lot of pushback at first because mom is not my, you know, mom is not our oh. patient. What are we doing? And I remember other doctors would email me and say, thank you for doing this. I didn't realize how high the rates were. Because they started screening. Right. So we've been doing it now since, whew, I can't remember, to be honest, at least eight years mm-hmm. within our pediatric practices. And then someone reached out to me, a really great advocate, a social worker for moms. And she's like, I want to take your protocol and take it to the NICU because okay. the rates are even oh, higher yes. for NICU moms. Yes. And again, it's that, like you said, it's not just part of being a mom. It's okay to ask for help and not feel guilty, not feel bad, not mm-hmm. feel like you're doing anything wrong mm-hmm. and really advocating for yourself because if you need medicine, it's okay. Yes. yes. And if you want to breastfeed with the medicine, that's where I come into play or my mm-hmm. colleagues, like we will find something mm-hmm. safe for you. You don't yeah. have to pick one or the other. And I think when mm-hmm. moms feel like they have to choose between the way they feed their child and getting medication for their mood disorder. Mm-hmm. Not only is that completely incorrect, but it's dangerous. And because a lot of times, a lot of times moms will choose, well, I'll be okay. I'm just, I'm just going to white knuckle my way through it. I want to get to breastfeeding for a year and then I'll go, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And, you know, and I I know your work with PSI as well as mine, you know, not everyone needs medication, but like just 
reaching out to the support groups, finding a therapist, Mm -hmm. listening to other stories and normalizing it. So I think that's really important. And, you know, I think for some women, it's harder based on their family system, their culture, their race, because, you know, there is a lot of stigma. And I know in in our culture, there's still a lot of stigma for mental health in general, and then Mm -hmm. maternal mental health. And so that's just really, you know, a lot of where my work started from was my um, pieces and um, talks about you know, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. And because of my background in the breastfeeding, mm-hmm. that's where people would start coming and asking me for advice or, hey, can you speak on this? Because they just kind of dovetailed together. Oh, yes. So it's really just become like a mission because I just don't want, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. Right. Like right. I want someone, if you go ask for help, if I don't know, or you don't know, mm-hmm. or someone doesn't know, but I know where to look, or I know who to ask, or I know where to send you. Yes. And I think that's the key. For sure, you're 100 percent right. That is the key. I I hope that people and maybe providers who are listening really get that point. Like you, you don't need to know everything. You just mm-hmm. need to know a reliable place to send people, um, a reliable resources to give. And if people, if let's just say like pediatric offices or uh, primary care n- knew that they have a resource, it, it would be much easier for them to screen so that they 100%. could send somebody somewhere. Um, to get the proper help. Yeah, 100%. Yep, exactly. Well, I love the work that you're doing. And I can tell uh, just by talking to you how passionate you are about this work. And that's all culminated in this beautiful, beautiful book that you made. Thank you so much. And I would like to offer one of uh, a free signed copy to one of your listeners. So um, I would love to do that. That would be fantastic. Um, (laughs) So yeah, great. I will suggest let's have listeners, whoever's listening, you can go to the Mom and Mind YouTube channel and the first person to write a comment about this episode on this episode will get you a free copy of the book. Definitely. That's very exciting. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I love the work that you do. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Same to you. Please go get connected with Dr. Srimarman on Instagram at natasha.mom.md. And if you or somebody that you know could benefit from the book Return to You, please do go check that out. And please do share this episode with anyone who you think could benefit from this conversation and this resource. I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.